Jack fucking Grealish, you you fucking myth of a footballer. Oh. Can you actually do anything other than win cheap free kicks and bookings? No, I don't think you can. There's a reason why you can't even get into a mediocre Gareth Southgate England <laughs> eleven because you're not that good. So go f- yourself. If that's what 100 million gets you, then I think my left testicle's worth at least three. <laughs> I mean, the amount of times he falls over, get a fucking haircut. You know what? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what it is, though. Maybe he's not a cheat. Maybe he just can't fucking keep his composure because he keeps tripping over of that fucking 90s boy band reject curtains he's got going on. The floppy head cut. Hello listeners and welcome back to another episode of the Plus Dave podcast, the Tottenham Hotspur theme show brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. This week, the Plus Dave podcast is not brought to you by a Leeds fan called Dave. He's taken the day off, perhaps to mourn the loss of his manager for the second time since we started this podcast. Leeds are going to go on to their third manager in the regime of the Plus Dave. We suspect he might just want to miss us spending an hour talking about how much we love Harry Kane. Much of that on the agenda to come as well as of course talking about the Man City game. Spurs have beaten Man City and deservedly so so we're going to have a look back across that and of course that goal that has made Harry Kane our outright all-time leading goal scorer overtaking the great Jimmy Greaves with what was also his 200th Premier League goal so joining me to talk about that and many other things is one of our own and that is Elio. Elio welcome back to the Plus Dave podcast. How are you? Yeah I'm not bad. Uh, A little under the weather but it wasn't going to stop me recording today after the weekend we've just had yeah. so you might have to do some new kinds of editing today uh, <laughs> mid-sentences but I'm going to do my best to keep a straight voice yeah. um no I'm really really good obviously it's a shame we've lost Dave especially because now I don't have him here to hear my beautiful Jesse got his marshing orders pun but I'm really <laughs> kind of looking forward to what's to come you will hear it now, absolutely. It's interesting to see some of the names being touted as replacements for Jesse March. Of course, Maurizio Pochettino among them, as is a triumphant return, potentially, of Marcelo Bielsa. But I think neither is particularly likely. I quite like the idea of Frank Lampard taking over. But we'll see. We'll see what happens there. They could get Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I think he's available. <laughs> they could. They could. That would be interesting. I saw Nuno Espirito Santo on the shortlist on Bet365 at a mere 18 to 1, which is maybe worth a flutter. That could be an interesting crossover, mm. couldn't it? So yeah, we'll leave that to talk about next week with Dave, at which point maybe Leeds will have a new manager. So let's see who that will be. Straight to it then. Let's get straight into it. I think we just want to talk about Harry Kane, don't we? Let's cut straight to it. We'll talk about the game. But of course, the deciding moment in that game was Harry's 267th goal for Spurs. His 200th in the Premier League puts him as one of only three men now in the 200 club in the Premier League with Rooney and Shearer. Mm. Nice goal. We'll talk about it in more detail later, but let's talk about what it signifies. And that is, of course, that he is our all-time record goal scorer. Now, I don't want to credit you quite with discovering Harry Kane, but I must admit the first time I heard his name was from you. You were quite a keen observer of our youth games once upon a time, and you pointed him out as one to watch out for in the future many, many years ago. Uh, Of course, his first goal in the Premier League was in 2014 in a 5-1 victory. Can you remember who Mm -hmm. that came against? Not to throw this into a challenge Um, earlier, too early on. Was it Sunderland? It was. 
It was under manager Tim Sherwood. Tim Sherwood with the cross from Christian Eriksen from the left. It was indeed. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I noticed earlier a nice little parallel in that it was a Dane who set him up for his first and it was in fact a Dane who set him up for his 200th. So yeah, nice little passing the torch there. So was that his first or was it his first league goal? No, that was his first league goal. Because he's had a couple of Europa. His first goal was against Shamrock Rovers. Yeah. I can tell you. That was a long time. That was before all the loans. So that's going way, way back. But again, Mm -hmm. you had already brought him to my attention back in those days. Back when a lot of people weren't really buying the whole idea of this young man, Harry Kane, coming in and being the next big thing. Of course, Mm. a lot of people were made to eat their words in the years to come after him being called a one-season wonder and the like. But it must have been such a moment for you, such an emotional moment, being there, seeing him break the record in front of your eyes, right in front of you, seeing the graphic come up on the screen, all the Mm. tributes afterwards, him being interviewed by Coity, emotional scenes after the match. How did you feel watching this this man who you've seen basically grow from a boy to a man in front of your eyes on the pitch over these last eight years or so. What was that like? Oh, it's wonderful. I mean, where I sit in the grounds, I'm right by the goal that we attacked in the first half as well. I'm um, right in line with the six-yard box. So he literally scored it right in my line of sight, right in front of me. And the moment the ball broke to him in the area, you just knew. I mean, also, what were the City defenders doing? I mean, they all got attracted (laughs) to Hoybier and left Harry Kane all that space so he, there was only one outcome and he celebrates most goals with a bit of joy but this one I think this one will always go down as yeah. his most special I reckon yeah you can tell it meant a lot to him couldn't you let's talk about Harry Kane then because I think it's at this point where you have to put it into the conversation I, I did plan asking Dave this just for a bit of impartiality I know you can never be completely impartial on this but I think we have to start asking questions about where he sits in the all-time greatest, at least Premier League strikers. Let's not take it as far back as previous eras. It's a nice cut-off point to talk about the Premier League. And of course, there's always comparisons Mm. with Shearer, with him chasing down his record. If we're talking about centre-forwards, if we're talking about, I guess, number nines or whatever you want to call them, strikers, where does he Mm. sit for you? And is there an argument to say he is now potentially the best to have done it? There is an argument. I mean, it's such a subjective thing. And Shearer didn't play outside of his title-winning season at Blackburn in a side as comparatively good as the side Kane has enjoyed. Shearer obviously played in the era of two strikers up front and he played with Mm. Chris Sutton, with Les Ferdinand, players who also scored their fair share of goals. But defenders were also allowed to make more tackles back then. The pitches were a little bit worse. So it's all very subjective. What I would say is that just going on the goals per game, Alan Shearer's record is not as good as Harry Kane's. So I think there's a very strong argument, especially if we're talking top flight as opposed to just Premier League. So I think there's a very good argument to say Kane's the best Premier League striker of all time. Mm. And when I say striker, I mean striker, not forward, not sort of number 10, not second striker, whatever you want to call it, or inside forward, but actual out and out forward. I can't really think of who's better. The only one that has that argument with him is Shearer because he's the only one that has a similar kind of longevity at the very peak. Everyone else tailed off at an earlier point in my opinion if we're going mm. overall forwards then for sheer talent Thierry Henry was obviously an exceptional footballer mm. there are always people who say Cristiano Ronaldo in my opinion the version of Cristiano Ronaldo that left the Premier League is not as good as Harry Kane and uh. wasn't a centre forward anyway the version of Cristiano Ronaldo that returned to the Premier League is not as good as Harry Kane obviously the version of Cristiano Ronaldo that won all those titles with Madrid 
is a better yeah. player. But yeah, yeah, if you would argue with but that. But we're just talking about the Premier League here. Of course. But it is a hard one to do. I think it's got to be Henri, Shearer, Kane, and obviously Rooney. Uh, you got yeah. sort of four forwards, two of whom are quite similar. Maybe two Aguero of whom are a bit different. deserves a mention in that list as well. I think well. Aguero deserves a mention as well. As well. Yeah, yeah, true. I think so. I think there's an argument. I think when you compare him directly with all of these candidates, I think there's quite a quick argument you can make against them or in favour of Kane. I think when you're talking about Shearer, like you said, yeah, sure, Shearer did win a title, but I don't think that's what he's remembered for. He is remembered mainly for his time in Newcastle and just for all of his goals. And his record was equivalent to 147 minutes per goal, 260 and 441, whereas Kane's is 128 minutes per goal. So already he's on track to outscore him. Rooney, again, similar story. I think Rooney's probably a closer player to Kane in terms of his all-round play, a bit more of a kind of 9-10 hybrid. But again, the numbers aren't up there. And with Rooney, you can say he probably played in a better team. And then with, yeah. with Omri, I think Omri is the one where it's hardest to make a case that Kane is better. I think they're very similar. The only thing you could say is maybe Omri played a bit more on the left. He's a slightly different type of player. Who knows? But either way, I think he's firmly up there in that conversation. And absolutely, crucially, his story is not yet written. You know, he might be leaving this summer. Who knows? There are rumours every mm. year, but he, he still has more to give and potentially more trophies. What do you say to those people who say... He can't be considered in that company until he has a trophy. I know it's the the age old. I guess what I'd say is, could you name every single player that's received a Premier League winner's medal? <laughs> there will be some trash among them, I can tell you that. Could you name all three players who have scored 200 Premier League goals or more? Absolutely. I just did. Exactly. So mm. that's the main point I'll make on that. I mean, yeah. the trophies thing has so many different circumstances that affects it. I mean, no one's going to tell me that Nicky Butt is fit to live on the same planet as Matthew Letizia, at least yeah. not Matthew Letizia, the footballer, as opposed to the social media presence. No one's <laughs> going to tell me that. Or is that just what the media want you to think, Elliot? Well, quite. <laughs> no one's going to tell me that Phil Neville or Henningberg are mm. fit to be in the same company as Ledley King or, I don't know, Paul McGrath, for instance. Yeah. Like at, yeah. at the end of the day, a great player is a great player regardless mm. of what team he plays in and yeah. it's not Harry Kane well some may say it's Harry Kane's fault because of the lack of the big game thing but when your consistent overall record is as good as it has been then I think you can forgive the fact that we haven't won a final with him in the team, especially when you consider the fact that whenever we have been in a final, it has also been against a very good team. It's not as if oh, we've yeah. been playing Wigan in our finals. We've been we've been playing Chelsea and Liverpool and Manchester United and Manchester City. So as as far I mean, as Wigan beat Man City, didn't they? Well, quite yeah, but uh, that was a different Manchester City. That was the Robinho Manchester City, not the De Bruyne Manchester City. And I think any trophies we've come close to winning, you, you have to say, have been in no small part down to Kane's massive contribution so I suppose you can look at it exactly. that way I mean we wouldn't have even been in the Champions League yeah. if it wasn't for Harry Kane of course never mind a Champions League final exactly I saw a poll to this effect basically saying what do you remember Shearer for A winning the Premier League with Blackburn B all-time Premier League leading goal scorer and obviously as you would expect high 90s saying the the latter I know I mentioned earlier that you brought Kane to my attention of course when we were kids I've mentioned this a couple of times your dad was a big influence on both of us in terms of Spurs always telling us about the glory days the 60s telling us about Hoddle and Gazza and Greaves and of course Greaves is a name that's firmly put into the forefront of our minds as young Spurs fans when you're learning all of the I guess the induction all the history you hear about the, the double team you hear about all the various FA Cups and great players of years gone by and Jimmy Greaves mm. is one of the first names you hear and 200 
166 always sounded like a, a huge number. And I don't know about you, but I never really saw anybody at that stage when I first heard about mm. our leading goal scorer. I never thought I'd ever live to see somebody score more. Did you ever see that happening? No, I mean, yeah, until he got close. No, I mean, obviously the last few years that became a very real possibility, but yeah. how could you see someone scoring that many goals? For How could you see someone being with us long enough to score that many goals? It's, it's yeah. incredible what Harry Kane's done. I still think that for me... And obviously we didn't watch Jimmy Greaves, but I don't think we can say sort of outright better than than Jimmy Greaves. I think, mm-hmm. yes, he's got the one more goal now. Some people want to count Jimmy Greaves' two charity shield yeah. goals as well. I mean, that's a load of rubbish. It's a friendly. Uh, yeah, Harry yeah. Kane scored many of friendlies. Exactly. But I do think when you look at Greaves' records, goals per game, Harry Kane has, and Harry Kane has a phenomenal record, 267 in 416. Mm. Greaves has 266 in 318. In yeah. the league, Jimmy Greaves still has 20 more than Harry does. Uh, mm. So it's still up in the air, which is better. I still think what Jimmy Greaves did is a little bit more impressive. And once again, yeah. Jimmy Greaves played in an era of centre-backs being allowed to kick lumps out yeah, of forwards. Pitches were absolutely horrible. More giving offside rules. And Jimmy Greaves yeah. also played with several other high-scoring players at yeah. the time. He played with Bobby Smith. He played for a little while anyway with Martin Chivers. He played mm. with Cliff Jones. He played with guys who scored a hell of a lot of goals themselves. Whereas mm. Harry Kane, all right, Son at some point, Delhi at some point, Ericsson for a bit all scored their fair share of goals. None of them has ever managed to match Harry Kane's yeah. level of scoring. So we have played for Kane. I mean, even Alan Gilzine, one of our top scorers, played with Jimmy Greaves. So Jimmy yeah. Greaves shared the goals. The argument in Kane's favour, though, is that defenders are a lot better. Teams are a lot more defensively organised these days than they were when Jimmy Greaves was a player. And the overall quality of opposition, both in terms of the bottom levels of the top league, sort of yeah. your Fulhams, your Bournemouths, your Nottingham Forests, and also in Europe, the level of lower level opposition are probably better than when Jimmy Greaves plays. So it's so highly subjective. Yeah. But when you look at Greaves' pure goals per game, it's ridiculous. 266 and 381. It, it's insane. And he still has 20 more in the league. And the league is usually the best barometer for me anyway. It's one of those things that you can almost never really categorically decide, can you? I think it's always going to come down to opinions. And it's it's almost like comparing exactly. different positions, isn't it? When you compare strikers from such different eras. But I think it's almost Absolutely. irrelevant. I think the point here is that he is in that conversation. Much like we were saying, yeah. he's in the conversation for the greatest Premier League centre forward. He's up there with the Greaveses and the Hoddles and Blanche 100%. Flower as our greatest ever. Oh. And, and again, I repeat, he still has some of his stories to tell. If we go and win the FA Cup in the Champions League this year, maybe we're starting to have different conversations. Mm. I don't want to put it all down to trophies because we've been over that. But I think sometimes when it does come down to an almost tiebreak situation, like when people were comparing Mm. Maradona and Messi before this World Cup just gone, people would always say, yeah, very close. But if we have to make a call, Maradona won the World Cup. I think in some Mm. people's minds, there's always going to be that argument if it's too tight to call otherwise. But either way, I think he's one of those players that you've got to say is kind of a one in a generation thing, isn't it? I think it speaks volumes that it has taken half a century to see somebody else 
on that level. And it might Absolutely. take another half a century, you know, in the same way as we talk about Messi and thinking, will we ever see someone else like him on the world stage in a Tottenham sphere? How long again could it be now, especially when the one club man and loyalty in football is slowly diminishing? How long, if ever, until we see another Harry Kane? Another 50 years. I mean, yeah. you've just said it. it took 50 years to break Greaves' record. I mean, We've seen more than enough good strikers at Spurs in recent times. We've had Berbatov, Robbie Keane and Jermaine Defoe. We've had Jurgen Klinsmann. We've had Sharingham, obviously. So many good players. But Harry Kane is head and shoulders above every single one of them. And he deserves to be described as such. Yeah, absolutely. Could not agree more. Is there a small part of you now that he has broken the record at Spurs that sees it almost as a bit of a green light for him this summer to potentially leave us? Because I know Um, the talk is all about Shearer's record and the Premier League record. I think most people seem to be in agreement that he'll want to stay in the Premier League to try and chase that down, which he has every chance of doing. He is uh, at this rate, just to give you some stats, in 85 games time at his current rate. That's just over two seasons. He will overtake Shearer. So I think it's almost his to lose in inverted commas at this point but he can do that mm. at Spurs or he can do that somewhere else he will always now yeah. whatever happens I think short of doing a Sol Campbell I think he goes down in Spurs history and he goes down as a legend even if he leaves us this summer you know within reason do you think there's a part of him now or is there a part of you that's a bit concerned to think that he's ticked that box now he's free to leave he's given us what he can mm, I think if he goes and he does it in a respectful way yeah then it would be very hard to begrudge him the move mm. because I listened last night to Paul Coit on Talk Sports doing a This Is oh, yeah. Your Life with Jürgen Klinsmann going through Klinsmann's entire career for about an hour. And okay. Klinsmann was talking about how much he loved it. I suppose he was only here for a year the first time, obviously, yeah. and how it was such a sort of big decision. But he was 31 years old at the time that that season ended. We were obviously not going to win a title in the next few years, and maybe an FA Cup. But he said Spurs at that point were a fifth to eighth team. By Munich, Franz Beckenbauer rang me up. Had to listen. It took Mm. 30 seconds to make the decision because I had so little time left in my career. And he only actually played for another three years after that. Mm. And he did go to Bayern Munich and score goals and win titles. He didn't enjoy Bayern Munich as much as he enjoyed Spurs, but Mm. he did get those final few trophies in. He had won a World Cup at that stage, though. (laughs) Let's not forget. He had won a World Cup. And a European Championship. (laughs) Yeah. But. Even so, he had, and he said, what drove me always was to learn more and to have new experiences and new opportunities. Mm. And I knew I was coming to the end of my career. So that was the only decision to make. Difference being Harry Kane is a homegrown boy. He's essentially our de facto captain. Mm. He's obviously the best player any of us have ever seen. And the level of adoration he gets, I don't think any other Spurs player in my lifetime has had anything close for such a long period. So I think it should be harder for Harry Kane to cut ties with us for the sake of trophies. Let's not forget that these days players go on a lot longer than they did in the 90s as well. Harry Kane could have another six or seven years in his career, potentially. Look at Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. But that said, how could you begrudge him? He's given everything to us. Equally, should Harry Kane leave this summer? Like I said, as long as he does it the right way, yeah. It's hard to begrudge him. I don't see why that should take away from his legacy with us because, oh, who have you seen at Spurs better than Harry Kane? <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, certainly not for an extended period of time consistently that good. No, no one. No, and Harry Kane scored his first goal in 2011. 
It's mad, isn't it? That's a long time ago. Many managers ago. Exactly. Like his first as part of sort of being a semi-significant player was Mm. 2014. But Jesus Christ, the guy has just given us everything. So whatever happens now, short of going to Arsenal, he's legend. That said, from a Spurs point of view, I think... 80 million this summer, for instance, 90 mm. million this summer, because you'll only have a year left. Yep, as a 30-year-old. As a 30-year-old, is not worth as much as one more season of Harry Kane. Really? And then we lose him for free. Yeah. If someone offers us something stupid, 150 plus, mm. same as before, by the hands of maybe 120, 130, but you're yeah. not replacing Harry Kane with anyone anywhere near as good as him and Harry yeah. Kane is our best chance every year of getting into the Champions League which makes us a lot more money than 80-90 million so yeah. no cut price sale we either get full price for peak Harry Kane a guy who's currently scoring at a ridiculous rate or we keep him from a Spurs point of view mm. I mean 80 million sounds like a lot until you think of it in terms of two signings at 40 million each which in this day and age is just not that much really People I mean, spend forty million on players like it's nothing. You're not going to go and spend it all on one replacement. Chelsea signed from Leicester, the uh, French boy Fafana. You could. Fafana. How many games has he played for Chelsea? <laughs> Chelsea have about seventy players, and not many, I imagine. He's probably about fifth um, in the pecking order. But yeah, you're right. I, though. I just, I think he's played two league games for Chelsea. Yeah. They paid seventy million for him. Yeah, absolutely. Well. Let's see what happens. At the very least, we've got the best part of half a season left of Kane. Hopefully, many, many seasons more. And uh, Mm. once again, congratulations to Harry on an incredible Spurs career today. Hopefully, many more goals to come. But 2-6-7 as it stands. And uh, many of them spectacular. Many of them very important, including, of course, the 267th itself, which was very significant. And it secured us yet another home victory against Man City. I don't know what keeps happening, how Man City is so bad in N17 team but somehow we keep on getting away with it but I think this was a game where Elio correct me if I'm wrong we actually outplayed them we didn't have much of the ball but we deserved our win it was a great goal we'll talk about the goal but I think every player did their job didn't they on Sunday absolutely and tell you the truth apart from the win under Nuno I don't really see yeah a game where we've beaten them that we didn't deserve it yeah we show the champions the champions league quarterfinal we deserved (laughs) over two legs i'd say but yeah yeah i think we've always had the measure of them we've always kind of played the same way against them with the exception of maybe under pochettino when pep was new to the league and we did actually boss them for possession yeah but i think it's a bit psychological for them and i think we're quite good we've got the same group of players that have been beating them every time as well Mm. we're just quite good at beating manchester city it's it's a strange one um i didn't realize quite how ridiculous it was until I started looking at a few of the stats they have not scored at our ground in the last six visits and in the visit prior to that we beat them 4-1 that's an aggregate of 13-1 in our last seven home games against Man City absolute madness is there any side that has beaten Pep Guardiola in his career more than Spurs (laughs) I couldn't tell you but I I find it very hard to believe that there is to be honest with you here's a couple more stats you'll like all right They've had 84 shots on goal in their last five <laughs> five visits to our new stadium with zero goals. And Kyle <laughs> Walker has now lost as many games in Tottenham since he moved to Man City as he did in his last three and a half years playing for Spurs. 
That's Amazing. insane, isn't it? Absolutely insane. Um, but as you say, we deserved it. And it's obviously not the first time we deserved the win. We played a really good game. Kane, of course, was crucial. He scored the winning goal. The man who set up the goal, we talked about him briefly earlier, Pierre-Emil Hoiberg, who I think was awarded mm. man of the match. I don't know who decided that. I think it was Neville or Carragher or one of them, but certainly deserved candidate for it, to say the least. I think bar Perisic and, okay, let's say Romero, because he yeah, we'll get got sent off, though he's... I don't see a player that didn't have a very good performance mm. for us. Son had his best game of the season for us. Yep. Emerson had his best game ever for absolutely. us. Both midfielders, very good. All right, Benson Kull was a bit sloppy first half, but second half he was absolutely magnificent. Mm. Kulusevski, his delivery wasn't quite there, but the only way they stopped him all match was by kicking him, basically. Unfortunately, the ref wasn't up Kulusevski's ass the way he was up Grealish's, but um, <laughs> that's another another point. Kane just did what Kane does, and every time he got the ball he just made big burly centre-backs look like pathetic little children Davies magnificent Mm -hmm. and Lloris almost gave his usual big game blunder towards the end but it didn't cost us so (laughs) he can have an amnesty this week we'll let him off yeah Eric Dyer Eric Dyer definitely deserves a special mention because he's one I thought he was absolutely superb he played like a man possessed I'd go as far to say it's his best performance of the season but like Emerson but unlike Emerson he's had many many good games for us But like Emerson, maybe his best game ever for us. He was brilliant. The way he was charging out and winning those tackles, that was like the young Eric Dyer, except far more commanding. I I absolutely loved it. And if he played like that every single time, we'd never complain about him. They they singled him out on match the day too, actually, and basically said he he was almost playing like a like a libero he was joining the midfield at every opportunity playing really high up the pitch which is strange because normally we mm. see the opposite from Dyer he's normally more of a kind of sweeper in behind isn't he he doesn't come mm. out with the ball as much and obviously with his background playing in midfield you'd expect he'd be able to but it's not something we've seen um, do you think that was just a case of well, Man City are so good in midfield we need another body in there do you think that was a deliberate tactic maybe I mean because it worked who knows especially with Conte not there <laughs> to orchestrate things but yeah. but what I'd say is Eric Dyer had his best time with us as a midfielder, okay, mm. potentially being carried by Dembele, a midfielder who dropped back between a defensive two. Yeah. All right, maybe slightly different in terms of your awareness of what's happening on the pitch, but how different is that from... He did it the other uh, way around, yeah. ...centre-back <laughs> of course. pushing into midfield. It was... Yeah. He's always been at his best combining the roles. Yeah, yeah Eric Dyer, yeah. I think, deserves a lot of credit for how he played, and... Maybe this is something for Conte to think about. Maybe we are better off having a guy pushing up into midfield than a guy sitting in behind. Maybe, and it could solve the problem of being outnumbered in midfield. Can we talk about Emerson? Because, as you rightly said, that might be his best performance ever. And it's it's almost almost predictable. It's, it's ironic. We're all expecting, or at least a lot of people were, half expecting to get a glimpse of our new shiny right wing back. And suddenly, mm. the script, as it would have it, was Emerson turns into prime Cafu on the day where we suddenly <laughs> need a performance out of him. Look, he wasn't unbelievable going forward, but he was good going forward. But I think defensively, particularly up against Jack Grealish, who's a tricky customer, he did a really good job, didn't he? I mean, I'm going to talk about Jack Grealish in a little <laughs> while, but... Yeah. Yeah. Emerson absolutely owns him and anyone else that came after him. He took him mm. out once with a bit of a late tackle, but generally I thought it was a, a masterful performance for him and he deserves every credit for how he plays. Once again, if that's his baseline, then none of the criticisms of him are ever going to be repeated. Yeah. But. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I must say, I, I've got a soft spot for Emerson. I'm sure I'm not the only one. I, I really want him to succeed. And sure, we've technically signed a replacement for him, so we might not see him as a starter for a while. But you see all these stories about him putting all this money into his own development, into you know really training hard. He, he apparently commissioned a personal scouting report of Ashraf Hakimi just so that he could learn how to play more like him. 
only found this out recently, but I, I love that. I love that commitment. I love that humility of saying, I know I need to improve. I want to be the perfect Antonio Conte right wing back. And, you know, critics would say he needs to study a bit harder and maybe get better mm. scouts, but he's obviously trying really hard. So it's, it's really good for him to see him have a good game like that. He's really a very likable guy him. and he may not be the yeah. best player, but he's also not as bad as people make him out to me. No, absolutely. I think it's one of those scapegoating things, isn't it, where there's a witch hunt the minute somebody has a couple of bad games. Um, Erling Haaland didn't have his best game. Uh, It might be a coincidence that Kevin De Bruyne was for the second successive time facing Spurs left on the bench. What do you make of that situation? Because it seems bizarre to me that Guardiola continues to rotate the way he does, but specifically to leave out who I think is his best player. And I think a lot of people would agree. Um, De Bruyne is his best player. He is the league's best player. I suspect he's probably beginning to get caught up by all the bad injuries he's had. Mm. And he's also, I think he's older than Kane actually, but he's definitely around the same age. And a player like that, you'd probably rather manage him than not, especially when you have players of the quality of Bernardo Silva and Rodri and Gundogan and the like. So, I mean, it may just be that he's carrying something or it may just be that he's not having his best season, so he's getting a bit of a kick up the arse. Um, Who knows? But I agree. I found it... I was pleased to see him on the bench and mm. I was worried when he came on. Yeah. The only good thing about him coming on is that they took off Mares, who in my opinion is oh. was their most dangerous player against us. He's their informed player, isn't he? I mean, look what he did to us last time. Luckily, it wasn't a repeat yeah, exactly. of that. But Haaland's managed to score against us without De Bruyne on the pitch last time. So He is Haaland. I, I would... He Through is it Haaland. all, he is still I, I would, Haaland. Exactly. What I'd say is that we created the only chances of any real quality the entire match. Forget possession, Mm. forget territory. Manchester City's shots, the time that they hit the crossbar, the time that it whistled just past the post from Alvarez, they were were all... They were half chances. They were super low... I mean, the Alvarez one, he was running one way and attempted a long shot going to the far corner from where he was. It was... I mean, it was definitely not one for his right foot either, but he chose his right foot. And you look at the chances we had. I mean, Harry Kane could have had another goal. Son could have had a a goal as well. Hoybier even. So I I genuinely think Emerson... um, There was one cross that... uh, Was it Kulusevsky who just couldn't reach it? So I I think we absolutely deserved it based on chances. I think Kane could have had a a hat-trick. I don't want to criticise him because he did what he needs to do and obviously a special goal and a meaningful goal but he had a good game otherwise but he had some chances yeah he he had a couple of chances I I did like Gary Neville criticising Kane's uh, striking technique at one point saying he took it on the wrong foot that that made me chuckle a little bit Um, Kane had 10 touches in the opposition box which given we only had I think 35% possession that's quite a lot and it's not something you often expect to see from Kane I think for all his brilliance he he doesn't get in the box as much as perhaps we'd like to that's encouraging isn't it absolutely um, and his first touch of those incidentally was his first touch with his feet was the goal <laughs> just uh, as a little side to that I think Harry Kane is clever enough to adapt his game to the opposition each time yeah. I think it usually depends what the manager asks him to do I don't buy that Harry Kane is obtuse enough to drop deep for no reason when he's being told to stay up top I think Harry Kane plays the way he needs to every time he'll get it wrong sometimes he gets it right most of the time as his record this season is proving yet again (laughs) exactly 
Exactly. One man on the pitch who I would suggest had a particularly poor game was Andy Madley, the referee, who uh, I imagine you were probably witnessing quite a lot of booing and chanting towards. He had an absolute howler from the first whistle, didn't he? Our 10 men beat City's 12. Yeah, it's funny you should say that. Apparently he was seen in the Man City dressing room at the end of the game. I'm not really sure what was happening, but a lot of people on Twitter have suggested it was to give Pep a refund. <laughs> <laughs> Those first two body checks to break up our attacks, one on Son and I think yeah. another on Kulisevsky. While they, I think free kicks were given, how are those not bookings? What part of the ball were the City players going yeah. for at those points compared to the bookings that Benton Core got, for instance? I think Davies get a booking as well, potentially. That were really, really oh, soft. So many I soft think. bookings, yeah. It was ridiculous. All right, Romero deserved both of his. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. I genuinely feel that... There was just a case of, well, I, th- I think he was raffing on reputations, basically. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to say he was biased, but he was yeah. certainly really, really poor in City's favour. Yeah, the occasion was a bit too big for him, wasn't it? Apologies to Bobby Madley, who I abused on Twitter. Obviously, he didn't tag him or anything like that. I just said Bobby Madley can <laughs> go forth and fornicate himself, not realising that it's it was Andy, Andy, Madley. Andy Madley. Bobby yeah. Madley is an absolute dickhead for other reasons. <laughs> oh, okay. So, when you say apologies to him, you don't actually mean apologies. You just wanted to specify that you've recognised your mistake. Fair enough. Well, Romero yeah. was, yeah, I, th- I think it's hard to argue with either of them. I think the second yellow was was one of those where if it happens in the first sort of three or four minutes, you think the referee might let it slide in ordinary circumstances, but it's hard to argue with either of them. The first one was a definite yellow, wasn't it? It was just a yeah. wild slice. But the second one is it's just the fact that it was on Grealish of all people. And it was Grealish is just such a frustrating player to play against because obviously he's got his talents and he draws fouls fairly, but he doesn't half love spending time fairly, on the floor. Really? Well, okay, I, I mean, he does on occasion draw fouls fairly, but he yeah, also, okay, that's also does love to roll around on the floor and go down at the slightest touch. Talk about Grealish. He is, he is one of the most, dis- I mean, that City team is, absolute dislikable <laughs> if I wasn't a Spurs fan I would definitely want Arsenal to win the league not City by the way oh yeah and I have no I, shame I think in saying most that most neutrals would yeah. that Manchester City team disgusting from back to front in terms <laughs> of their behaviour the shouting in the referee's yeah. face their absolute shit of a manager jumping up and down like a fucking epileptic porcupine all day like it, it's just disgusting I mean Jack fucking Grealish, you you fucking myth of a footballer. Can you actually do anything other than win cheap free kicks and bookings? No, I don't think you can. There's a reason why you can't even get into a mediocre Gareth Southgate England 11, because you're not that good. So go fuck yourself. 100 million. If that's what 100 million gets you, then I think my left testicle's worth at least three. <laughs> Jack Grealish is the best argument against people who say Harry Kane needs to leave Spurs to win a trophy to be taken seriously. Jack Grealish left Villa, won a trophy. Who cares? Who cares? Is he held in any higher esteem now? Jack Grealish on our side, where would you play him? Ahead of Son? Absolutely not. Ahead of Kulusevsky? Obviously not. Not ahead of Kane either. Would you put him on the bench ahead of either Richarlison or Dan Juma? No, he'd probably be our sixth choice player if we signed Jack Grealish. He's he's a tricky player with an okay set of products in his career who even in the best attacking sides in Europe can't actually get a decent goals and assists per game ratio. Exactly. And the fact that he mugged off Almiron only to kickstart the guy career and actually ended up watching Amaron have a better season than him just caps it all off doesn't it no ridiculous man grow up get a haircut pull up your socks I mean, the amount of wear your shim pads falls over. and stop falling Jesus. over like a exactly. little girl get, a get fu- on with yeah. it you know what maybe that's what it is maybe that's what it is though maybe he's not a cheat maybe he just can't f- keep his composure because he keeps <laughs> tripping over of that f- 
fucking 90s boy band reject curtains. Maybe he's got his going calves on. are just so huge that people can't help but kick him when he tries to run past them. I, I think that might be it. Who knows? Either way, he's very, very frustrating. That being said, Romero deserved to go, didn't he? Let's be fair. He did deserve it was to coming. go. We knew there but would be one of what? these this season. I wouldn't change a thing about him. No, no, because it's that exact attitude, isn't it? That means most of the time it works. So good on you, Romero. Good on you. I just, that City team overall, just despicable. I mean, Pep is just so, I mean, when he was Barca manager, I never saw this side of him. Because they were always winning. Bloody hell. He makes Mourinho seem likable. <laughs> he, he's just horrible. I mean, f***ing hell, try and managing a team without paying 50 million for each player and backup player per position and 100 million for the floppy head cut. <laughs> I mean, I do find myself particularly enthusiastic about beating Man City. I'd like to read you an excerpt from our WhatsApp group chat immediately after Kane's goal from myself. Yes, yes, fuck you, City. Fuck you. Fair? Yeah. So yeah, it is so. wonderful beating Man City. Unfortunately, they are still ahead of us in the league, but long way to go there. Um, before we move on to talk about other games, I just want to talk about Son, because you mentioned him, and we haven't talked about him just yet. He, he obviously he didn't score, but I think it was, as you said, his best game in a long time. He looked like Son again. Mm. His final decision-making maybe is still not as sharp as it should be. You know, Maybe he, he's not quite what he was last season, but this is the first time in a while, apart from the Leicester sub-appearance, which was just a freak, where he <laughs> felt like his old self, and he looked hungry mm, no absolutely and i think as far as i'm concerned he's had a bad season but this version of son is like the reversal he didn't really threaten their goal in yeah. the end but what he did do is he held the ball really really well he dribbled past people successfully i can't remember the last time i saw son dribbling to tell you the truth yeah. he was constantly involved he was really um dragging us mm. forward and City were shit scared of him every single time. Him and Kulusevski. Yeah. It was no. This was a really good version of Son to see, and he plays like that for the rest of the season. He's gonna finish the season with double figures in goals. I, I reckon. Draws. Yeah, it was like those goals against Preston, combined with the fact that he knows he's got a good record against Man mm. City, just really, really propelled him. We said we stopped doing this. We said we stopped going through every single one of our players and talking about how great they were. But sometimes you just can't help it because it's so nice to see everyone doing their their job. And it, it was. I tell you what, let's wrap up and talk about Leicester. Yeah, let's get. Let's get on to that. Just quickly, I just wanted to bring your attention to uh, the results of a vote that we did immediately before the game, which might boil your blood a little bit earlier. We asked our followers, or just Twitter in general, whether they would rather see us win or lose against Man City. And as I'm sure won't be a huge surprise to you, sadly, as much as 9% said they wanted to see us lose, presumably so that Arsenal would have a worse chance of winning the title. What would you like to say to those people? Football's not for you. Moving on, shall we? So... So to Leicester, who, much like City, were probably terrified of Son, will be quaking in their boots at the prospect of a buoyant mm. Harry Kane coming off the back of his 200th goal and breaking the Spurs record, who has 18 of his 200 goals against Leicester. Leicester, who, of course, have conceded two goals in each of their last four Premier League games and are not in the best shape themselves since the restart of the Premier League. How do you see that game going? Are you confident? Because I feel like we should be. Oh, absolutely. Um... <sighs> They should just give Harry Kane two goals and Spurs a 3 0 win for now and not bother playing the match. <laughs> that would be nice, wouldn't it? If you could just have a gimme for certain games like that. I know we say it every time we have a big win, but it just would be classic, wouldn't it, to go and throw that away by losing this game now. So hopefully, hopefully we don't. The confidence that we should have from yeah. yesterday's match, 
I'll be surprised if we don't build on this now. We suddenly seem to have a bit of rhythm and a bit of verve. We've got three wins on the bounce now, Fulham, Preston, Manchester City. We've got a lot to celebrate with uh, what's yeah. just happened for Harry. Son's playing his way yeah. back into form. Kulusevski, Benson, Cole, both fit. Yeah. Dan Juma, Richarlison, both on the bench. I think Lucas is coming back to fitness as well. I think it's coming together. And we have the second coming of Dani Alves on the right well, flank. Yeah. And this all is all without, without Pedro Pedro Yeah, who, um, who knows? Maybe we'll see. Because obviously we have to shuffle things up a little bit now. Um, just a quick shout out. First of all, obviously, um, wishing Antonio Conte the very best in his recovery from his surgery for a gallbladder mm. removal, which I understand is a relatively routine operation and nothing to be too concerned about. But hopefully he is back on his feet and in good shape very soon. Um, Stellini doing a great job in his absence, of course. Uh, that's actually five in five for, for Stellini, would you believe? He's probably our best ever manager statistically. That's an excellent <laughs> record. So long may that continue. But yeah, moving on to Leicester. I, I want to hear what you would like to see on the team sheet because... There's been some suggestion, not for the first time, I might add, given the suspension to Romero and how well Emerson did defensively. And it would seem unfair after his best performance mm. in a Spurs shirt to immediately drop him for the shiny new toy. Is there any part of you that would like to see him as our right centre-back in this game and Pedro Porro start as our right wing-back? Having built up a little bit of form, now's not the time to try something <laughs> but, you've never tried before. Or is it against a struggling team that we typically do well against when we're on a high? No, no, no. I, I want us to either have Sanchez at right mm. centre-back or... Well, no, that's what I want to see. Yeah, Sanchez. I want to see Sanchez yeah, at right centre-back, yeah. Is it definitely just the one game that Romero misses or could it potentially... It's just because... Yeah, 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 two yeah. bookings okay. is one game. Yeah, I guess it, yeah, yeah, it could yeah. be worse. That's not too bad with no disrespect to Leicester. What about the rest of the team, though? Is there any shuffling you'd like to see or is it a case of don't change a winning team? I mean, obviously, Pedro Porro is the big elephant in the room with Emerson having just played a blinder. Do you bring him off the bench to ease him in? Because obviously, we talk about Conte's system and how important it is for people to know how to play his way. And I think one of the mm. things I've heard about Porro is that, and Sporting in particular, is that they play very differently to how we play. They're basically their league so, and city. They have a lot of the ball they're very high it's going to take a while to adjust I think to the way we play for him I think with the fact that we're having to change one position mm. and forced don't change anything else like the only other thing I might have done if Romero was able to play would be to swap Davies for Longley to have a little bit more of a ball player against a more defensive yeah. team than Manchester City he had such However, a good game Romero is out so yeah and Davies did have such a good game I just keep it as it is I just don't see the point Absolutely. in messing with it that fixture actually marks the start of not a terrible run in the Premier League actually of course we've got cup games to talk about as well but just looking at the next mm. nine in the Premier League let me read these to you and tell me how you're feeling about it so obviously Leicester away followed by West Ham home and then Chelsea at home Wolves away Forest home mm. Southampton away Everton away Bryson home Bournemouth home so those nine fixtures Chelsea obviously are the big boys pre-season, but they're having all kinds of problems themselves and new players all being bedded in. Brighton, are, of course, are an mm. opposition to be taken seriously. But again, one we beat in the away yeah. leg, uh, or the away game, I should say. That's a decent run of games, isn't it, on paper? On paper. Um, you, I do. You know the follow-up to that, so I won't bother with yep. my favourite cliche. What I would say is... I mean, for me, Brighton home is probably harder than yeah. Chelsea home. I think West Ham home, just because it's their cup final, is harder than both. The thing that makes Chelsea hardest is how much Chelsea live in our heads. <laughs> However, based on this season, based on current form, based on players in the teams, we should be favourites for every one of those fixtures. Yeah. Football doesn't work like that, but I think I think I'd hope to see us 
back in the Champions League yeah. places and maybe even a bit better by the yeah, end of that run of fixtures. Like Man City would beat us every game, wouldn't they? So let's, let's be thankful that it doesn't always exactly. work like that. Looking at the league, though, it's, it's amazing how much one result, one big result can just change your outlook, can't it? Because had we lost this game and the league was exactly how it is now, I'd be looking at it thinking, oh, we're, we're off the pace now. We're out of the running and, you know, it's all, it's all going downhill. But we're fifth. We're not actually that far off the pace. When you're looking at top four as our target, forget Arsenal for a second. We're just the one point behind Newcastle and three behind United, mm. uh, Man United, sorry, Dave, granted with a game extra having been played. That game, they're not going to play that game for a while because obviously they're playing each other in the cup final. So that will be yeah. a while before that one comes back around. And we're not actually that far off Man City who aren't in the greatest form. You've got to look at that and think, Arsenal have got a bit of air on everyone at the moment, but those three, all it takes is one of them to go on a bit of a worrying run. And we're right in there, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, it's never ideal when they've all played a game fewer. But to tell you the truth, there's six points separating four positions there. There's actually only 11 points separating the top five, albeit Arsenal have two games in hands. But there's almost half a season left. And this is when you say we're in the mix. The good thing is, apart from maybe Manchester United, we're probably the side that seems the most confident right at this mm. moment in time going into the next bounce of exactly, the fixtures. Yeah. So so hopefully that works in our favour. Arsenal and Manchester City have each other to play at least once, if not twice, during our nine-game run of fixtures I as well. I think it is twice. Yeah, I think it's twice. And I, I have a feeling Manchester United have a few tricky ones in mm. there as well. So... So the table, hopefully, will look a little bit different yeah, in a couple of months' time. Of course, we've got to look down as well, and Brighton are kind of breathing down our next mm. at the moment after a lot of brilliant performances. And there's obviously Brentford and Fulham not a million miles off the pace either, so let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. But um, uh, yeah. it definitely has the potential to be a promising second half of the season, certainly with the new signing involved as well and taking this momentum into our next few games. Mm. Let's leave the Premier League for a second, Elio. I want to talk to you about, I want to talk about the San Siro which is a ground you have rather fond memories of. Tell me about your experience of of Milan and of the Giuseppe Miazza Stadium from many a year ago. Well, obviously, Giuseppe Miazza rather than San Siro, because it was easy we were playing that day, was a wonderful experience. We lost, but I saw the Gareth Bale hat-trick, as you know, as I incessantly tell you about, in the goal I was behind. So wonderful, wonderful evening, even though we lost. The game we won at the San Siro, sadly I watched on TV. I did actually have tickets to go for it, but uh, life just got in the way. I did, yeah, but life just got in the way of that one, which was a shame. I could have gone to it and seen that wonderful little man who gave a very good halftime interview uh, with Paul Coit the other day last night against Manchester City. So that wonderful little run Mm. from Aaron Lennon. I say little run, run, he ran the pitch. He's just a little (laughs) man. Um, Oh, that little run from that little man, Aaron Lennon. Look at him with his little legs scoring his little goals. No, I love little Aaron Lennon. He is one of my favourite ever players, I, yeah. as you know. And Peter Crouch scoring the... Well, maybe not for him, but you'd hope it was unmissable. Mm. And we deserved that win as well. There was all the sort of histrionics between Gattuso and Joe Jordan. When, who was it that one of their players tried to... Oh, yeah, Flamini tried to absolutely decapitate yeah. Luca. I remember. So, yeah, there's a bit of fire in this. I'm not sure if we've played them since in another competition or not, but really looking forward to this one. Would love to be there. And AC Milan, it should be said, are on pretty poor form 
would you believe? Which, you know, let's set aside the Dr. Tottenham jokes for a second and try and look at it logically. Their last five games, so they, they've just lost to Inter, you know, obviously oh, the, wow. the Milan derby. Uh, before that, they lost 5-2 at home to Sassuolo. Previous to that, they lost 4-0 to Lazio and 3-0 to Inter again, or in the cup final. Mm. Um, then they had a two-all draw of Lecce. It's actually been seven games without a win for them, most of which are losses, which shouldn't make me nervous, but it does somehow. But that's just welcome to life as a Spurs fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got a bit of an injury crisis. Their main goalkeeper, Mike Mannion, has been out for a little while. Benacer is out. Tomori is out. Florenzi is out. So there's no better time to be playing them. <laughs> I, I know I should. I know we have to look at this logically, but that's got to give you some confidence. It does. And I think over two legs, I am confident about it. They're still the Italian yeah. champions. Let's they not count are, our they're in sixth. And it looks very much like Napoli are running oh. away with it. So uh, things can change very quickly in football. They're in sixth. Things can change, you know. We would have been a lot happier playing Arsenal last year than we would be this year, put it that way. I think that if we play to our maximum, we win. Maybe not on the night, but definitely across two legs. However, we have to play to our maximum, which has still not happened often enough this season. And Milan are still the Italian champions and they still have some very dangerous players in their side, as you well know. So, yes, I feel positive. I feel optimistic Mm. and confident. But at the same time, I I really don't want to go down any kind of... No counting of chickens. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and not to mention one Olivier Giroud will probably be <laughs> just, starting against just us. Just about to bring him up. I was just about to say they do have a gentleman, a veteran up front who just loves scoring against us. And it's almost written in the script, isn't it? So mm-hmm. and he is fit. He actually is not injured, not one of their many missing players at the moment. So let's see. That'll be an interesting one anyway. It's on Valentine's Day, which is fun of, of UEFA. I'm sure that's going to mm-hmm. cause a, a fair chunk of arguments across the country. So let's see what happens there. Maybe there'll be some gentlemen buying some Beyonce tickets to make it up to their significant others. Let's see. Um, Is there any part of you allowing yourself to dream when it comes to the Champions League and the FA Cup? Because it's hard not to think about it in terms of just how many teams we have to beat. At this point in either competition, we've just got to win three more games and we're in the final. And it's easier said than done. But that is the truth. Or at least beat three more teams rather than win three more games. Are you allowing yourself to dream? It's, of course, it's knockout football. We have as good a side as any in Europe, in my opinion. We just need to play like that. Uh, yeah. We haven't all season. We've started now. Long may it continue. Yeah. Of course, I'm allowing myself to dream. <laughs> 11 points behind Arsenal in the league with two games more than them. I'm still allowing myself to dream about that. I mean, yeah. in my mind, the treble is not out of the question. So I'm glad you said it earlier because I was thinking it. I didn't want to say it out loud, but now that you've opened that door, I was looking at the league earlier and thinking, what if? Could you imagine? Let's not start talking about that too much. Let's not try and make ourselves look too silly. With the Champions League, do you, do you think our team now is better than the one that got to the final no or not um, it's not in some ways i mean better version of loris vertonghen older virals obviously yeah. both great center backs even if slightly on the decline trippier obviously had um yeah. he wasn't this trippier was he exactly he wasn't mm. but he was also still good enough he was still a good player back then he had a good season danny rose mm. was a bit hit and miss at that point in his career but the front four, Kane, Son, Eriksson, Deli, was a magnificent front four. I'd say right now, Kane, Son, Kulusevski is similar in quality, but the difference being Eriksson just being an absolute magician. Yeah. But that team had a central midfield of Harry Winks and Musa Sissoko. <laughs> 
That's so, for a se- for a second there, I was thinking, surely that's not right. And then I thought about it, and you are right. That was the midfield. It's quite sad. So that alone makes me feel more confident in this mm. team. We've certainly come a long way. It might interest you to know, Ellie. I don't know if you've seen this, but I went looking for a full ninety-minute rerun of our game earlier. A bit off work for for a few weeks. Subscribe so got... to Spurs Play. You'll get the whole match on it. Well, I went looking on Now TV on Sky Sports basically, and mm. I didn't find it. What I did find, however, was a full-on rerun of the twenty ten. Premier League game that secured us Champions League football oh, yeah. for the first time, which was really interesting. And I urge anyone listening to go and watch this. It's, I think it's all good and well watching highlights reels and watching compilations of old players gone by, but nothing quite takes you back in time the same way as just watching the full-on game with the commentary as mm. if you're there in the moment. And it's just great watching a young Gareth Bale, young Luka Modric, uh, Ledley King and Dawson sort of at their best. And, and mm. King was absolutely flawless in that game. King was, it was an absolute masterclass. I, I couldn't help but just be drawn to him every time they had the ball in our third, which was much like yeah. contemporary Man City Spurs games a lot of the time. But obviously a huge game for us. If you're one of our listeners that's not old enough to remember, that was the game where Crouch scored the only goal of the game to send us into the Champions League for the first time in, well, ever, because it wasn't called the Champions League the last time we were there. That was the game that got us into the Champions League and it's well worth a watch if you find yourself some free time to go back and watch some of our stars of yesteryear making their way through through Spurs. So go and check that one out. Four memories of that one, Elio. Good day. Absolutely. It was something that was the culmination of a fairly steady, fairly linear rise. And hopefully we can get back on the track of that rise in the near future, because until a few years ago, it had continued. And here we are 12 years later, and look what's happening. We're trying to get into the top four. (laughs) But anyway, anyway, football is uh, always linear, unfortunately. Competing with a recently acquired sports Oil rich. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Football just repeats itself, doesn't it? Uh, Well, while we're here, please take the time to follow us on Twitter. Follow me at PlusDaveDags, Elio at Elio underscore P underscore THFC. And follow the podcast at PlusDavePodcast. not exactly relevant to Man City, but just one thing I wanted to throw in, Elio, just because I was toying with the idea of putting together an article and I had what I thought was a really good idea. And then I realized that it had already been done. Much like South Park trying to come up with new ideas and realize the Simpsons have really done it. Sometimes you've just got to accept that someone's beaten you to the punch. Of course, Harry Kane didn't cost us anything, but with the transfer window having wrapped up now, I thought it'd be fun to have a look back at some of our notable transfers over the Premier League era, but not just in terms of how much they cost us. In fact, I've got a list here of our top 10 transfers of the Premier League as adjusted for inflation, okay. which I thought could make for interesting reading. I wanted to do this myself, but I have to give credit to The Athletic with a little bit of help from a couple of gentlemen from the University of Liverpool who have made a calculator to convert old school transfer fees into mm. new school transfer fees. So I just wanted to read our, our top 10 just from 10th to 1st just to get your thoughts on some of these. Coming in at number 10 is a young Croatian by the name of Luka Modric who we signed from Dinamo Zagreb in 2008 for 20.25 million which in today's money is 55 million which is still a steal I think it's fair to say. Comfortably in our top 10 Premier League players. Absolutely, absolutely. The next one is uh, it's a bit of a sad one. It's, it's Dean Richards who sadly of course since passed away we, we signed him in 2001 a long time ago now for was a lot of money back then 10.94 million in 2001 which according to this calculation would be 60.5 million for a centre-back which even by today's standards is is a lot of money but uh, I think at the time he was a very highly regarded Mm. centre-back wasn't he the next one was a fair bit before that and that was Darren Anderson in 1992 who signed from Portsmouth for a mere 2.43 million which in today's money Elio is 61.1 million (laughs) 
Money wow. well spent, I would say. Darren Anderson, very Definitely. good servant for the club. Perhaps slightly less so was Raul Fox, who we signed in 1995 from Newcastle for 4.28 million or an equivalent today of 66.9 million. Jesus. 67 million for Raul Fox. The next one is Ili Dimitrescu from Stade Bucharest in 94, who was 3.3 million, which is now an equivalent of 67.4. Moving into the top God, five. 67.4 million for half a season. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we had to consider in how much these actually we sold them for in the end, I guess, if you're if you're weighing them up. Uh, moving to the top five, this one probably goes firmly in the win column. This is Teddy Sheringham, who we signed from Nottingham Forest way back in 1992 for 2.84 million, which according to this calculation is the equivalent of 71 million today. Probably still a good signing, all things considered. Absolutely. Less so, you probably could not say the same about number four. Darren Bent, who of course was our record signing in 2007, still a long time ago, for 22 million, which was a lot of money in 2007. Let me tell you, by today's standards, that is 78 million for Darren Bent. Jesus. Following on in the similar vein, Les Ferdinand, who I think we quite understandably paid a lot of money for in 1997. He cost 8.55 million, according to this, which is the equivalent today of, this is pretty eye-watering, 96 million for Les Ferdinand. Which is um, I think the figure's a bit wrong there. I remember it as being about six, but even so... I think um, you're right, actually. Even so, we're talking sort of 70-plus for someone who didn't quite pick up his form from mm. his Newcastle days. Into the top two now. Number two, a player who was kind of hit and miss, had definitely a couple of very good seasons for us, was our top scorer at least once, I believe. Chris Armstrong, who we signed way back in 1995 from Crystal Palace for 6.12 million, equivalent today of 97 million. And can I, wow. can I give you the chance to have a guess at the top spot as adjusted for inflation as our record Premier League signing? He was our record signing at the time. It must have been Sergei Rebrov. It was Sergei Rebrov in 2000, who cost us, according to this, 16.2 million. Not sure exactly if that's right. Which, according to this calculation, by today's money, is 112.4 million. Which, look, it sounds ridiculous, but then if you consider that Chelsea have just spent about that much on a, a young Ukrainian forward who has done less than Rebrov had at that stage, mm. let's not forget, Rebrov at that point was one of the hottest properties in Europe. Mm. His only crime was not being Andrei Shevchenko, basically. Sadly, it wasn't to be. But yeah, I thought that was a, an interesting little look down memory lane through the eyes of some economic calculations mm. created no, by men that. much smarter than I. So there you go. I'm glad you said you and not us. <laughs> yeah. So in summary, Tongue Gin Dombele wasn't that bad. All things considered. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the point I was trying to make, Elio. Brilliant. That's more or less all we really have time for today, or at least all, all we really had to go over. Elio, if there's anything you'd like to add in relation to Harry Kane or just generally your feelings towards the rest of the season, then please feel free to, to go ahead and take this opportunity. We've eulogised enough about Harry. We'll continue to eulogise about Harry as long as he's with us and then long after his career ends. Just we're blessed to have seen him. Like I said, Jack Grealish, two-bit myth of a footballer who is good for nothing but winning cheap free kicks. Pep Guardiola, absolute tosspot of a human being. And Erling Haaland, extremely potent goal scorer, mm. but also a bit of a lanky streak of piss. And he goes to bed wearing Harry Kane pyjamas. I mean... Who doesn't? So he should. Who among us does not? Quite. Who among us does not? Um, brilliant. Well, I sleep naked. I, on that bombshell... <laughs> 
<laughs> we hope that in spite of that, many of you will choose to join us again next week, where we will hopefully have Dave back. And we will be talking about potential leads replacements for Jesse Marsh, among other things such as Spurs in amongst the occasional flash of leads. So let's let's hope that we have plenty to be thankful for. We hope you've enjoyed this one and we hope you enjoyed watching us beat Man City and Harry Kane breaking the record as much as we've enjoyed sitting here and talking about it. But until next week, you will stay classy Spurs fans and we'll see you then. Yeah.